0: Today is the 18th day of December. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian. It is wonderful to be here with you today as we gather around our roaring global campfire and uh, get all snuggled up and get warm and find our space and take the next step forward together. It is a brand new, shiny, sparkly week. And this is the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. One week from today is Christmas Day. Wow. But here we are. And uh, moving through the season of Advent where we have allowed our hearts to consider the arrival of the Savior in the world and uh, consider our longing for his return. And so Advent, we've talked about it like all along the way as like calendars and Advent wreaths with candles in them. And so you may be lighting the fourth Advent uh, candle this week at church, or maybe you... Have an advent wreath at home that you light each Sunday and just focus your heart and remind yourself what's going on. This is the love candle that we'll be lighting today, the fourth candle, allowing us to focus this week as we move right to Christmas, love, the profound, unspeakable Unknowable, and I don't mean we can't know God's love, but his love is vastly beyond what we can comprehend. We focus our hearts on the love that it took, the love that was displayed for us as God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is where we find ourselves in the season of Advent, And in our journey through the scriptures this year, we have come to yet another book. We will read it in its entirety today. It is the eighth of twelve minor prophets, and it is called Habakkuk. And we don't know practically anything about who Habakkuk was, maybe Maybe less than any other biblical writer, but we don't know much about Habakkuk. There are some traditions. There's a, a Hebrew tradi- tradition that speaks of Habakkuk being the Shunammite woman's son, uh, the little boy who was resurrected through the prophet Elisha, and we found that story in the book of Second Kings. There's another tradition found in the, the apocryphal book, Bell and the Dragon, and that uh, displays Habakkuk ministering to Daniel while he's in the lion's den but these are traditions and you don't know anything else though you look to the traditions and so these are some of the traditions most scholars especially with the bell and the dragon and Habakkuk being in Daniel in the lion's den believe you know that's that's how legends are made but those are some of the traditions around who Habakkuk was there are many verses in the book of Habakkuk that will sound familiar. There's one in particular, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That should sound familiar because that's something that the apostle Paul said a lot. And we find this in the book of Hebrews as well because the righteous will live by faith. That's like, that's like a core Christian doctrine, so... We see where what Paul and some of the other writers are referring back to Habakkuk for the language. Because the language is poetic, maybe lyrical even, especially the, the very, very end of Habakkuk seems like it's a hymn or a psalm to be sung. There are scholars who have observed this and wonder if Habakkuk might have actually been a temple musician. But again... We don't know with certainty. But what we'll see is Habakkuk having a conversation with God that moves from doubt to worship. Habakkuk will begin by saying out loud what is happening in the world, and it will sound familiar, and he wants to understand why God is indifferent, like why he seems to allow any evil A human being can come up with and allow it to happen like God wasn't even paying attention and God responds that he's gonna use the Babylonians to punish his own people which wasn't like the response he's looking for and is confusing like why would you use a less righteous group of people to be an object of judgment on a more righteous group of people God explains that he's not indifferent, that he's not unaware, that he is sovereign, and that he knows what he's doing, which leads Habakkuk into worship. And so with that, we'll read Habakkuk, which contains three chapters in its entirety. We'll read from the Common English Bible this week. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Lord, how long will I call for help and you not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you don't deliver us. Why do you show me injustice and look at anguish so that devastation and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. The instruction is ineffective. Justice does not endure because the wicked surround the righteous. Justice becomes warped. Look among the nations and watch. Be astonished and stare because something is happening in your days that you wouldn't believe even if told. I am about to rouse the Chaldeans. That bitter and impetuous nation, which travels throughout the earth to possess dwelling places it does not own. The Chaldean is dreadful and fearful. He makes his own justice and dignity. His horses are faster than leopards, they are quicker than wolves of the evening. His horsemen charge forward, his horsemen come from far away, they fly in to devour swiftly, like an eagle. They come for violence. The horde with all their faces set toward the desert. He takes captives like sand. He makes fun of kings. Rulers are ridiculous to him. He laughs at every fortress, then he piles up dirt and takes it. He passes through like the wind and invades but he will be held guilty, the one whose strength is his God. Lord, aren't you ancient? My God? My Holy One? Don't let us die. Lord, you put the Chaldean here for judgment. Rock, you established him as a rebuke. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You were unable to look at disaster. Why would you look at the treacherous or keep silent when the wicked swallows one who is more righteous? You made humans like the fish of the sea, like creeping things with no one to rule over them. The Chaldean brings all of them up with a fish hook. He drags them away with a net. He collects them in his fishing net. Then he rejoices and celebrates... Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his fishing nets, because due to them his portion grows fat and his food becomes luxurious. Should he continue to empty his net and continue to slay nations without sparing them? I will take my post. I will position myself on the fortress. I will keep watch to see what the Lord says to me and how he will respond to my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision and make it plain upon a tablet so that a runner can read it. There is still a vision for the appointed time. It testifies to the end. It does not deceive. If it delays, wait for it for it is surely coming. It will not be late. Some people's desires are truly audacious. They don't do the right thing, but the righteous person will live honestly. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man. He doesn't rest. He opens his jaws like the grave. Like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all nations to himself and collects all peoples for himself. Won't everyone tell parables about him or mocking poems concerning him? They will say, Doom to the one who multiplies that doesn't belong to him and who increases his own burden. How long? Won't they suddenly rise up to bite you? Those who frighten you will awaken you will become plunder for them. Since you yourself have plundered many nations, all the rest of the peoples will plunder you because of the human bloodshed and the violence done to the earth, to every village and to all its inhabitants. Doom to the one making evil gain for his own house, for putting his own nest up high. For delivering himself from the grasp of calamity. You plan shame for your own house, cutting off many peoples and sinning against your own life. A stone will cry out from a village wall, and a tree branch will respond. Pity the one building a city with bloodshed and founding a village with injustice. Look, Isn't this from the Lord of heavenly forces? Peoples grow weary from making just enough fire. Nations become tired for nothing. But the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord's glory, just as water covers the sea. Doom to the one who makes his companions drunk, pouring out your wrath in order to see them naked. You have drunk your fill of dishonor rather than glory. So drink and stagger. The cup of the Lord's strong hand will come around to you. Disgrace will engulf you. Because of the violence done to Lebanon, He will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you as will human bloodshed and violence throughout the land, the villages, and all their inhabitants. Of what value is an idol when its potter carves it, or a cast image that has been shaped? It is a teacher of lies, for the potter trusts the pottery, though it is incapable of speaking. Doomed the one saying to the tree, Wake up! or... Get up to the silent stone. Does it teach? Look, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath within it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. The prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianon. Lord, I have heard your reputation. I have seen your work. Over time, revive it. Over time, make it known. Though angry, remember compassion. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from the mountain of Paran. Selah His majesty covers the heavens and His praise fills the earth. His radiance is like the sunlight with rays flashing from his hand. That is the hiding place of his power. Pestilence walks in front of him. Plague marches at his feet. He stops and measures the earth. He looks and sets out against the nations. The everlasting mountains collapse. The eternal hills bow down. The eternal paths belong to him. I saw the tents of Kushan under duress. The curtains of the land of Midian were quaking. Was the Lord raging against the rivers? Or was your anger directed against the rivers? Or was your fury directed against the sea when you rode on your horses or rode your chariots to victory? You raise up your empty bow, uttering curses for the arrows. Selah, With rivers you split open the earth. The mountains see you and writhe. A flood of water rushes through. The deep utters its voice. It raises its hands aloft. Sun and moon stand still high above. With the light your arrows shoot. Your spear at the flash of lightning. In fury, you stride the earth. In anger, you tread the nations. You go out to save your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you smash the head of the house of wickedness, laying bare the foundation up to the neck. Selah. You pierce the head of his warrior with his own spear. His warriors are driven off those who take delight in oppressing us, those who take pleasure in secretly devouring the poor. You make your horses tread on the sea. Turbulent waters foam. I hear, and my insides tremble. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. I tremble while I stand while I wait for the day of distress to come against the people who attack us. Though the fig tree doesn't bloom, and there's no produce on the vine, though the olive crop withers, and the fields don't provide food, though the sheep are cut off from the pen, and there are no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my deliverance. The Lord God is my strength. He will set my feet like the deer. He will let me walk upon the heights. To the director of stringed instruments. Revelation 9. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. He opened the shaft of the abyss and smoke rose up from the shaft like smoke from a huge furnace. The sun and air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came forth from the smoke and onto the earth. They were given power like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. They could only hurt the people who didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. The locusts weren't allowed to kill them, but only to make them suffer for five months. And the suffering they inflict is like that of a scorpion when it strikes a person. In those days, people will seek death, but they won't find it. They will want to die, but death will run away from them. The locusts looked like horses ready for battle. On their heads were what seemed to be gold crowns. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. In front, they had what seemed to be iron armor upon their chests, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots and horses racing into battle. They also have tails with stingers, just like scorpions, and in their tails is their power to hurt people for five months. Their king is an angel from the abyss, whose Hebrew name is Abaddon, and whose Greek name is Apollyon. The first horror has passed. Look, two horrors are still coming after this. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the gold altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Then the four angels who had been made ready for that hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of humankind. The number of cavalry troops was 200 million. I heard their number. And this is the way I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The horses' heads were like lions' heads, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. By these three plagues a third of humankind was killed, by the fire, smoke, and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The horses' power is in their mouths and their tails, for their tails are like snakes with heads that inflict injuries. The rest of humankind, who weren't killed by these plagues, didn't change their hearts and lives and turn from their handiwork. They didn't stop worshipping demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that can't see or hear or walk. They didn't turn away from their murders, their spells and drugs, their sexual immorality or their stealing. Psalm 137 Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying, because we remembered Zion. We hung our lyres up in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. How could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Lord, Remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Rip it down. Rip it down. All the way to its foundations, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer. A blessing on the one who pays you back. The very deed you did to us. A blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. Proverbs 30, 10 Don't slander a servant to his master. Otherwise, the servant will curse you and you will be guilty. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness, your Patience, your graciousness to us. And on this, the final Sunday in the season of Advent, as we are moving directly into Christmas week, we just recognize where we are and we recognize the busyness all around us and the preparation all around us and the excitement and the goodwill and good cheer all around us. We also recognize how much pulls us away from what this is all about, what we're even jumping up and down and celebrating over, what we're giving gifts to commemorate, and that is your arrival, your arrival to rescue us. And we are grateful. And so as we contemplate the depths of love that you have extended toward us, even While we were sinners, even while we were your enemies, we are grateful. And may we share your love out into the world. May it filter through us and pour out of us to those that we come into contact with. May we be known by our love for one another, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask.
1: Amen. Hello, family. It's Jackie in Vancouver, B.C. And I'm crying because God is great. I listen to all of you and I pray every day. And I always tell myself I have faith. Sometimes it's as little as a mustard seed. And I've been struggling with business and the sales have been low and... Yes, December month has been low, November was low, and I was just like, you know, God, I need your help. And just today, someone came and surprised me with a grant of $5,000. God really is good, and He answers all our prayers. And so these are tears of joy, because God is great, and He sees me and He hears me. And I think He sees you and hears you. And so I pray that all of your prayers will come true. And so this is a praise. I know I'm crying. But this is a praise. I'm praising God for His goodness, for His mercy. So the family, Please praise God with me, and for everything you're going through, I'm joining my faith with yours and praying and thanking God for answering our prayers, for hearing us, and it just—it feels great to feel seen, to feel known, to feel like I'm God's child. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you, the DAB. Thank you, all the family that calls every day and the ones that call to pray. Hi,
2: this is Willow Tree. I used to be a weeping willow, but now I'm more like the tree planted by the water. Being fed by the Word of God every day is making me full of joy, and I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to the Hardin family too for the music that they've blessed us with. And I would really encourage you, if you haven't listened to the rest, album by Brian with headphones on to go and do that. It's amazing how he made the sounds just swirl around you, and it's just beautiful. It's kind of like I close my eyes and listen to it. It's kind of like I'm on a holodeck. It's really cool to just be in that place that he's created for us. um, So I would encourage you to listen to it with headphones. I love you all, and I'm so happy to be part of this family. This is a prayer of encouragement I wanted to send out to, I believe, people on the water. Uh, You called in December 2nd from Indiana. Um, Brother, I just wanted to reflect back to you what I heard because I'm not trying to minimize the that you're going through and the struggle and how hard it is but what I hear on the other end of the line is not somebody that is not confident because your voice to me sounded very strong <laughs> in your confidence of not knowing what's going on and not knowing what you're doing and to me at 19 years of age that exhibits real strength to be able to declare Um, into a community of of other brothers and sisters to make a public declaration that you have no idea what to do is takes strength and courage and humility. And I just wanted to to commend you for that and to give you praise, like to praise you for that because that is a real, that's a real thing um, that not a lot of people will admit uh, at this age. So I just wanted to encourage you to don't, don't try to rise above your situation. You know, find God in the struggle. I know that's maybe easier said than done, but it's just something that was coming to me to maybe help you look into it a little more and realize that He's, he's working where you are exactly for a reason and trust that.
1: We wish you a merry Christmas. We wish you a merry Christmas. We wish you a merry Christmas. And a happy New Year. Bye bye, Noel. Bye bye, Noel. Et mes du temps dans du ciel. Tu es si bien anaché. Au bois de petit. The difference was from New
2: Jersey. Merry Christmas, Joyeux Noël, Bonne Année. Bye bye, love you.
0: Okay, so we read uh, from the ninth chapter of Revelation today, and so let's just remember we started Revelation with this image of Jesus, seven golden lampstands that represented seven churches. Seven letters were written, one to each of these churches. And then a scroll was revealed that no one could open and it had seven seals on it. And the lamb steps forward and he is the only one. Jesus is the only one that can uh, open the seals. So he breaks the seals and what is held by those seals is then revealed. Then we have seven angels before the throne of God who are given trumpets and they're each now blowing their trumpets. And we went through the first four trumpets yesterday and uh, the fifth and sixth angels blow their trumpets today. And so we begin, when the fifth angel blew his trumpet, I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and the star was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay, so we have to kind of go back into the, the different ways that this can be read. So you can read this literally, uh, because we've seen a bunch of stuff falling from the sky. And so a star falls from the sky and that, and then the star, the, the rock, the star somehow is given a key and opens up a shaft. that's on earth, but it's a bottomless pit. And so you can see how, like from a literal perspective, it'd be hard for a star to hold a key and turn a key lock. It would be hard to find something bottomless on earth. Like if you, if we started digging now, right, if it was even possible, we'd go through the center of the earth and out the other side, and that would then end up in space on the other side of the world, it, how could that be bottomless? So a completely literal reading of the book of Revelation, be, I mean, it would be very challenging. The star falling from the sky has been interpreted a number of ways, mostly dealing with that the star is actually an angel, but then the question becomes: Is this a good angel, or is this a bad angel? And it's been noted by scholars that the star falling from the sky imagery usually re- refers to a judgment of some kind, and that there is no other uh, there is no other reference in the scriptures to a like a good a godly angel falling from the sky like a star. That only happens when an angel is judged and cast down. So, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like a star from the heavens. So many commentators, not all, but many commentators would say this has to be the judgment of of an angel that is being cast down. This may be Satan himself being cast down to do this task because he is under the sovereignty of God or or one of his minions. So this entity is given uh, the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. It opens the bottomless pit. And of course, the bottomless pit is probably a metaphor for the realm of the judged. And when this pit is opened, smoke uh, comes out of the shaft like the smoke from a large furnace. And the smoke darkens the sun and the air. So there's a, a, a number of interpretations around this. I mean, if, so if you're reading literally, then it's smoke. Like There's a lot of smoke, enough to darken the sun and the air. So a serious amount of pollution. If we're looking a little more allegorically, then, uh, then darkness is usually the metaphor for like a spiritual darkness, a blindness. And so this uh, comes pouring out of the bottomless pit and darkens the world and uh, immediately uh, following the smoke and the darkness um, uh, locusts come flying out of the bottomless pit, out of the smoke onto the earth. And, and uh, they're given power like that of of a scorpion and uh, they're not allowed to harm nature. Like they can't harm the grass or green plants or the trees They can only torment the people. And they can only bring this judgment on those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So, uh, obviously, from a literal perspective, we're talking about um, insect-like creatures that look like locusts but have stingers like scorpions and they plague the earth. If you're looking allegorically, then, I mean, when you look at something allegorically, you can interpret it however you interpret it. Which is why there's such diversity uh, and interpretations that are f- everything from you know, rational to far-fetched and many in conflict with each other because you don't know exactly what the symbolism means. But if we're taking a pragmatic scholarship perspective, trying to draw comparisons with similar visions that happen in other places in the Bible, then these locusts can represent those beings that have been held in the bottomless pit. And a good many scholars would say that that's associated with the fallen angels, demonic forces that have been held there and uh, they're loosed upon the earth, but they can't hurt the earth's nature and they can't hurt those who have been sealed with the seal of God on their foreheads. And so God uh, allows the trumpet blast to happen This star, this angel falls and is is, uh, uh, sent down to earth with the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. It's opened and all kinds of things come spilling out on the earth. Things that can't harm those with God's seal on their foreheads. But those who don't, they're definitely receiving judgment. And that judgment will either harden their hearts and lead them toward their ultimate destruction or soften their hearts and they turn to God and for a lot of scholars this this whole picture this whole scene reveals that the judgment that was formerly limited to those demonic forces who are in this pit is now extending all across the earthly realm because of Christ's victory through his death and resurrection judgment has begun not only in the bottomless pit, but also upon the earth. And uh, that is happening through the darkness coming out of the pits. People are being blind, blinded in the darkness and tormented and oppressed. But this isn't happening to those who have been sealed by God. And there's a bit of a parallel here in Jesus' words from the Gospel of Luke. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. Your names are recorded in heaven. So if this parallel is correct, then those sealed by God have authority over these things that are coming up out of the abyss. They have authority over them and can't be harmed by them. Which would lead us to believe that This is allegorical. The imagery is symbolic. And then the sixth angel uh, blows his trumpet. And uh, the sixth angel is instructed to release the four angels who are held at the great Euphrates River. Some would say these are like um, dark archangels. So like very, very powerful demonic forces. Some draw... Uh, parallels with the four angels that were at the four corners of the earth and the four winds. But most translators and commentators would say these are these are evil. They're being held against their will for a specific time, for a specific task, and they're loosed. And whereas in the fifth trumpet, uh, uh, everything coming up out of the abyss wasn't allowed to kill anyone, wasn't allowed to harm nature, wasn't allowed to touch anyone with the seal of God on their forehead, and wasn't allowed to kill anybody, it was just tormenting and oppressing people, whereas in the sixth trumpet, when these four angels are loosed, they're loosed, they're loosed to kill one third of humanity, and John says that the number of those forces were 20,000 times 10,000, so that's 200 million So if if you're reading literally, then four actual angels have been being held uh, at the Great Euphrates River for a time period that we don't have any way of knowing, but they've been held for a specific hour and day and month and year. And they're released and there's 200 million um, soldiers on horses that are loose to do this task of killing one third of humanity. If we're looking at this a little more allegorically let's remember if we're looking at things allegorically then everything can have a meaning so if we're looking at this allegorically but with a, a pragmatic view then powerful dark forces are released they had been held for an indefinite period of time but held for this time this time of judgment that we're reading about and there's a vast horde involved And they unleash three plagues, fire, smoke, and sulfur. And these come out of their mouths. So allegorically, what's coming out of their mouths is bringing darkness, blindness, the inability to see clear. The power of these forces is in their mouths and in their tails. So like in their words and in their deeds They are bringing uh, such spiritual darkness and chaos and torment and oppression that the result is death, and this affects a third of the earth's population, or if we're not taking that number literally, a lot of people are affected by this darkness and death that spreads because of this. And then as we end our reading for today with the sixth trumpet, there's kind of an aside, kind of... God's commentary here, the people who survived these plagues still did not turn to me and change the way they were thinking and acting. If they had, they would have stopped worshipping demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood which cannot see, hear, or walk. They did not turn away from committing murder, practicing witchcraft, sinning sexually, or stealing. So using the formula that the Bible gives us for judgment, that it can have a refining and perfecting and purifying outcome, or it can have a hardening outcome that leads a person who rejects it to their own destruction. We can see that in spite of all that is going on, there are still those who, are, who, have, who have not died, but who are still rejecting God and father father we don't want any part of that we don't want any part of rejecting you and yet we confess that we have done exactly that in our thoughts words and deeds by what we've done and by what we've left undone And so we invite your Holy Spirit to continue to refine and purify us. And we reframe the suffering that we've endured in this world. We hate it. We don't want to go through it. We want you to take it away. These are so much of the content of our prayers. And although we will continue to ask you for your counsel on how to navigate through things that are very difficult and unexpected, we choose to also look at what you are doing in these things, that you've got us, and these things refine and purify us. And truly, we want to be pure before you, true before you. We want to be sealed in you for all of eternity. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.